the epistle of Jude. And this is the second part of just looking at this little book. And tonight the subtitle is The Call to, to Contend. The Call uh, to Contend. So Jude, and we're going to read uh, those four verses. If you want to stand for the reading of God's word tonight, praise the Lord. The Call to Contend. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we just pray that you'd bless your word tonight. Lord, we're so thankful for the privilege that we have without fear. Lord, without the threat of violence, without the threat of arrest, just to meet and to open your word. Lord, we pray you'd forgive us if we ever take it for granted. Lord, the liberty that we still have in this nation to meet in such fashion. And Lord, we just ask tonight that you would bless your people across this land. Lord, many people are, Lord, just concerned and many are, Lord, confused about what is happening in this world. But, oh God, we thank you that there's one on the throne tonight and his name's Jesus. And Lord, we thank you tonight. You're the one that ever liveth to make intercession for your people. Thank you, Lord. Lord, even when our prayers faint, Lord, that you never fail. Lord, you're one who is faithful. Lord, we thank you for the tremendous turn in events in the United States, Lord. Lord, many would say it was impossible. It could never happen. Fifty years, Lord, so many lives have been murdered, O oh God, in the safest place in this world, in the mother's womb. But Lord, we see, Lord, Lord, that you're turning a nation. O oh God, we pray. Lord, would you do it again? Would you do it here, Lord? Lord, would you do it in England and Scotland and Wales, Lord? Would you turn, Lord, this nation, turn it back to you, Lord? Oh, God, we do cry for mercy. Lord, as Andy said, you're great in mercy. Lord, we just call out for mercy tonight. Bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take your seats together. Uh, you, you just remember last week, we just opened in these few verses. We're looking at a very important uh, subject. Um, and I believe it's more relevant today than it's ever been, but it has been around uh, since right back to Romans chapter 6. If you look at the opening verse of that great chapter, Paul was dealing with what Jude uh, is going to open up to us here way back in those days that um, men would turn the grace of God or use the grace of God to continue to live in a sinful state and Paul writes there in the opening chapter of Romans chapter 6, he says, God forbid that we would turn something so precious, the great doctrine of grace, and, and turn it into lasciviousness or a license to live uh, whatever way we would want. And we are uh, living in such an hour, and it's, it's quite sad, it's quite tragic that we're witnessing uh, this particular issue that is sweeping across most of, or a lot of the church where the great doctrine of, of grace, um, that's God's riches at Christ's expense. My mom always 
and put that out to us, God's riches at Christ's expense, that we turn something so precious and use it in such a way that it would give us a license to live any way we want and say that it is grace. And here Jude is writing, uh, just to recap again, and in verse 3 there he says, Beloved, when I give all diligence, his, his heart was fixed to write on the nature of salvation. And, and then, as we mentioned last week, the Holy Spirit takes control of his heart, of his pen, and he knows that he must write what the Spirit of God is speaking to the church. And, you know, we know that term that we use often, what uh, that, that he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so we need to have a, a listening ear to the Spirit of God. There are many voices. Uh, there are much things that are happening in the church today, but we need to know what the Spirit is saying. And the primary way in which we'll know what the Spirit is saying is through God's Word, the Word of God. And we looked at how important it was to be biblically sound, to have sound teaching or sound doctrine, and to know uh, the Word of God. But he was constrained by the Holy Ghost uh, to speak on this particular topic that we're looking at. And then he calls that church to contend. You see, it, it, is, the, it is the work of the Holy Ghost, if you like, uh, to sanctify or purify the church, that's the bride, and to make her ready to prepare the church and it's also the responsibility of the Holy Ghost to present the church to the Lord. That's the wonderful thing. We're, we're about to be presented to the Lord. He's about to come, burst through the clouds. Glory to God at that great sound of the trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. How does that happen? It happens by the power of the Holy Ghost. We're all instantaneously changed by the power of God. This corruption will put on incorruption, their mortality, immortality, and we will meet the Lord in the air. And that is the work of the Holy Ghost by the power of the Spirit of God to purify the church, to prepare the church of Jesus Christ, and then to present her to the Lord when He comes, and He's coming very soon. You know, just this afternoon, I had a, about a half an hour with a man. He's not a saved man. And just had reason to have an appointment with him. And uh, we were talking, he was talking about politics, he was talking, and just all the general conversations. And, you know, as I was there, I was just, you know, when you're talking to someone, but you're praying into yourself, you're saying, Lord, I just don't want this to be a conversation about just everything that's happening in the world and the politics. Did you see the leaders debate? Did you see this? Who won the match? Who was this? And all that. I just said, Lord, give me just something to say to this man. And just at the very end, it just was the, one of those divine moments that it's like you knew God had just opened the door. And I said, you know, this is all happening. But you know what this is all about? And he says, what's this all about? I says, Christ is about to come. And he was visibly, I can only say this, brothers and sisters, he was visibly shaken. He was actually visibly shaken. I began to just share a few things concerning the times in which we're in. Scripture has told us clearly of the days that would come. We understand prophecy has been fulfilled and being fulfilled. We know that he has come already. And I says, look, you might think that I'm just a crazy fella. I've lost my marbles. But let me tell you something. I know I'm right. I don't want to be arrogant and say, oh, I know I'm right. But just say, I am right. And Christ is about to burst through these clouds. Let me tell you something, friend. Do you read? And he, he was actually visibly shaken. And we had to part and he says, 
I need to talk to you. You remember John? Pray for John, because I'm going to go and see him again. Because the reality of it is, people are looking into this world. They know that something's happening, but they don't understand what it is. But they're looking for people who just live their lives every day and walk with the Lord to tell them the truth, just to share the gospel, to know that we need to be ready that Christ is coming, and he's coming very soon. So the Holy Ghost is preparing a people, purifying a bride, and he is going to present to the Lord a glorious bride very soon. He's responsible for the protection of that bride. And so that is what's happening here in Jude. He is warning Jude through Jude that there are there are false teachers, there's false doctrines that are infiltrating the church of Jesus Christ to its detriment, that if they're not called out, if they're not spoken clearly or from a scriptural point of view with the right heart, with grace, but also with the truth of God's word, that those false doctrines are going to have a profound detrimental effect upon the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes along those lines in Romans chapter 6 also. And so we understand from the time that Jude has penned these words to the days that we are living in, this context of where we are today, there's always been false prophets, false teachers. There's always been false teaching that have infiltrated the church. But the last days in particular are going to be noted for an increase in false teachers and also false prophets and false teaching. In Matthew chapter 24, just so we lay out this in Scripture that it's very clear this is what we've been warned of. But in Matthew chapter 24, those great chapters concerning the last days, Jesus said there in verse 11, and then we're going to go over into 1 Timothy chapter 4, the writings of Paul, but in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, Jesus instructed us and told us there that many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. We see the function of a false prophet or a false teacher. And the purpose is actually to bring deception in the church, to deceive the church of Jesus Christ. That's why they will rise up. Over in the 1 Timothy chapter 4 then, uh, Paul tells us there, 1 Timothy 4 and 1, these are very well-known verses, you'll know them well. 1 Timothy 4 and 1, uh, Paul writing to Timothy speaks there and says, writes there, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. There is a departure, there is an apost, there is an apostasy that takes place in the last days. There's always been apostasy. But in the last days in particular, there'll be a, a huge departure from that which is the faith. Jude's writing about that faith that was once delivered to the saints. We'll see a falling away. And I would put to you tonight, brothers and sisters, that we have witnessed very, very much in our nation and these nations uh, across uh, particularly the West, we have seen a dramatic falling away from the faith. It, is, it isn't something that's just been a one or two thing or a small thing. It has been a dramatic departure from the faith. When you see these nations, I believe Davy prayed, there are nations, these islands that were once ablaze. You think of England, you think of Scotland, you think of Wales, you think of the revivals, you think of the moves of God, you think of the missionaries, 
You think of the mighty men of God that were raised up, women of God, uh, great teachers and theologians. We have their commentaries. We have their books. And these men that were blessed and gifted beyond what we can even imagine how they were giving themselves to God holy and how from these nations the missionaries went out all across the world and today to see the spiritual decline and the spiritual state of these nations, it is profoundly shocking. And I think sometimes we become accustomed to it or used to it that that is the way it is. But if we really got a, an insight to the spiritual condition of these nations, to see where they have come to, the great nations, the great cities of Liverpool and Birmingham and Manchester and London that raised up mighty works. We have their testimonies, we have their books, we have their commentaries, we have our libraries filled with them. But these nations now lie in practical darkness, in darkness. Yes, there's a remnant, there's a people all across. Thank God for that. But friends, it is a shocking thing and, and here the Bible tells us clearly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith. There will be an apostasy. People will turn away. How do they turn away? Well, then he tells us how this happens. They give heed to seducing spirits, seductive spirits that will come, and they will lure away. They will lure away from the faith. They will seduce those that are walking in the faith, they will seduce them away. And also by the means of doctrines of devils, false teachers, false prophets, false, false doctrine that will infiltrate the church of Jesus Christ. They'll speak lies and hypocrisy, have their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. We had a conversation just the other day. We went into a new wee cafe in Newcastle. I'm not going to mention its name, but they didn't serve meat. I'll never be back. I actually felt as though I was sinning when I sat there. I got an old bagel with scrambled egg and it had no bacon. Couldn't believe it. Sorry for those who don't eat bacon, but I love a bit of bacon with your scrambled egg. But imagine no meat. I mean, this was ridiculous. I nearly walked out on, and we just said, we better stay. We'll get our coffee, but we'll not be back. But you know, I joke, but then the reality of it is you see this drive in every, in every way, whether it's through climate, through this, through that environment and everything else. They want to ban the eating of meats. We're living in days. We're living in the latter days. Then they'll say, which God has got, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Double steak burger with bacon. Praise the Lord. Thank God for what he's given us. Thank God that we can eat. Thank God that we're blessed. Thank God that we can have these things. But we see the spirit that is behind it all. If you turn over in the second Timothy chapter 4, Tim, Paul's writing to Timothy to charge him. He's, he's going to charge Timothy concerning the days in which he was living. He says, I charge thee, Second Timothy 4, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, 
For there's coming a time when they will not endure sound doctrine or instruction, but after, here's one of the keys in it all, their own lusts, their own desires, their own earthly desires, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from truth, and it shall be turned on to fables or stories. Stories. We're living in such an hour. We're living in such a day where we can see very clearly that we've come to a time when saints will not endure Biblically sound doctrine. You know, I heard a true story of a brother who sat with a sister who was in error, and I'm not talking about in a diversity of eschatology or end times or different things like that. I'm talking about she was in she was actually biblically off. And he brought her to the Scriptures and he opened the Scripture and he presented to her the verses to show her that that actually you're going the wrong way and doing the wrong thing. And you know what the words were that come out of her mouth? But I don't believe that. This was a professing believer. But I don't believe that. See, Hosea says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We don't know the word. We don't believe the word. We're living in a day now where it's very much that we'll take, what we're seeing is that people will take parts of the word that accommodate or suit them, but there's other parts they'll simply say, that's not for me. That part doesn't apply to me or I actually don't, I just don't believe that part. What we actually end up doing is we create a God of our own imagination. What happens after that is that we open, we actually open ourselves to what we've just read, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, because we will believe something. What's happening, friends, has happened very quickly. When we choose to ignore or take just certain parts of Scripture and say, they apply to me, but there's other parts I don't accept or I don't believe, then we have opened ourselves up to the seductive spirits of the hour and the doctrines of devils and the false teachers that are there in, the, in, our, in their abundance. And so it's in this context that Jude is saying, Beloved, look at verse 3 in Jude, he says, Beloved, He's speaking to the church with a heart of love. It's not in condemnation. It's not with a stick, but it's a heart. It's the, it's the heart of the Holy Ghost. It's the passion that he has uh, for the bride of Christ. Remember to purify it, to uh, prepare it, and to present it to Christ. It is desire to gather the bride together and to make her ready. And he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write about the nature of salvation, it was needful that I write to you and and exhort you or, or encourage you to earnestly contend. Like a strong, it's strong language what he's calling the church to. Who is he writing to? Is it just church leaders? 
Well, you, you know in the opening there, if you go back to verse 1, we just touched on it last week, but who is he writing to? Who is he speaking to? Who is Jude writing to? Who is the Holy Ghost speaking to? He's writing a verse 1 that says there towards the end, those that are sanctified, sanctified by God the Father, that's those that are made holy, those that have been sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking to you, he's speaking to me, speaking to the church. He says not only are they sanctified, but then he says are those that are preserved in Jesus Christ, that he is holding us, that we are in the very palm of his hand and, and nothing can pluck us from his hand. And he says, and those that are called, that were called with the holy calling, sanctified, preserved and called. He's writing, who's he writing to? He's writing to you. He's writing to me. And what's he calling us to do? He's saying, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith. That's one Greek word, and it literally means to fervently strive for the faith. To fervently strive for the faith. I want you to contend for the faith because there are opponents. There are false teachers. There is false teaching and doctrines and prophets that are coming and they're going to try to infiltrate the church of Jesus Christ. I mentioned it last week. There isn't a devil or a demon on this earth that can defeat the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said he'll build this church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But if he can seduce, you think of Samson of old, how he lay on the lap of Delilah, how that great man of God was seduced by Delilah. We thank God that his hair began to grow. God used that great man again. But friends, what a cost. What a price was paid to lie in the lap of Delilah. And so there's a fervent call for to stand for the truth. I want to ask a question. It might seem like a strange question, but it's just simple. Many people believe here that there are opponents to the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about just the devil, the demons, and Billy the atheist that lives in High Street and he just hates everyone who's a Christian. I'm talking about real opponents. Real opponents to the church of Jesus Christ. They, 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 are, they are sent and they have a purpose to destroy the work of God. Does anyone believe that there's actually people like that? It's actually true. The remarkable thing is that there's a lot of people who don't believe that's true. Even though the Bible says it is, there's a lot of people who just don't think that's the way it is. When Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, this is what he said. If you turn over to it, it's important to read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. And again, I want you to see how the apostles and the writers of these books, how when the Holy Ghost came upon them, how they, they pleaded with the church. There was a heart, there was something of the heart of God in it that is such a precious thing. It wasn't just that they were out to destroy and knock people down and beat everyone with a stick and everything is wrong. They were actually bringing the heart of God to call the church back to Christ. 
And here he says in verse 2, he says, I am jealous over you with a godly jealous. I mean, he, he, I know there are some today that believe that they're appointed in the church to put everything right and to put everybody right. And they do it in a way that basically means that nobody's right and everyone's wrong and everything's demolished. There's nothing good. But if you look at Paul here, he is actually, he has the heart of God in this. He said, I'm so jealous over you with a godly jealous, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I want you to be separated unto the Lord. I want you to be sold out for him. I want you to give your undivided attention and heart and passion and emotions and desires. I want you to live for him. I want it to be all for Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. I don't want you to have a divided heart. He says, but I fear, look what he says, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That in some way, look, he's calling us to a place of, as, a, as, a, as, as one espoused to one husband. He is now saying, but the serpent as it beguiled Eve through subtlety. So he fears for the church at Corinth. This was a church that tolerated sin. This was a church that had the gifts. There was a function of the gifts in operation. We know the correction was there and also the exhortation to continue in those things. But then what he's saying here is, listen, the enemy is so subtle. He's so devious. He, he's trying to find a way in and if he gets in, he would try to corrupt your mind and take you away from the simplicity that there is in Jesus Christ. Christ is everything. We don't need anything else because he's everything. He is actually more than enough. Christ is everything. And so they were being deceived. And then he says these words, For if he that cometh preacheth, look what he says, another Jesus so he'll preach Jesus, he'll mention Jesus, but he'll mix that with other things. But that's another Jesus, whom, you have, whom we have not preached, or have ye received, look what he says, so there's another Jesus. Then he says, if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or if you receive another gospel, look what he's saying, he's saying, another Jesus, another spirit, or another gospel, he was concerned that they might bear well with him because of the subtlety of the enemy. That they would entertain. They would entertain false teachers or prophets with their false doctrines because their minds have been deceived by the enemy into thinking that this is all okay. Everything's all okay. We can accept this. We can mix this. Friends, I want to tell you something, especially in the days that we're in. We are living in an hour now where there is many false teachers and prophets that have rose up with false doctrine to infiltrate the church of Jesus Christ. The purpose of that is to strip it from the simplicity of Christ. Because, friends, if Christ in all his glory is revealed through our lives and through the bride of Christ and the power of a risen God and that everlasting life is poured through, and that resurrection life is poured through the church of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, friends, there's nothing greater that this world can see than Jesus. Sirs, that we would see Jesus. So the enemy would work. 
In Galatians chapter 1, Paul writes these words, and this is his warnings to those early churches. In Galatians 1 and verse 8, he writes these words, But though we, this is what he says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, Paul says, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. Powerful words. Potent. So there's two things that we're going to face. False teachers, false doctrines. Some of them are very easy to identify uh, false teachings or false doctrines. For example, it's very, very simple for us to identify uh, the false teachings concerning marriage that's coming into the church. Many churches have adopted the false teaching. Dead churches, churches that were once churches. Many of these churches were very much once gospel-preaching churches, Christ-centered churches or denominations, and now they've been seduced away, and now they're accepting that this false teaching that, that marriages between two that are of the same sex. That's, we, we can clearly in this church, I know every one of us can see, that's false teaching. That's, that's false doctrine. We know that there are many other things that are coming into the church. We've seen it over the years, uh, whether that be in evangelism. Remember Nikki saying years ago when she went with a mission organization that they were taught that Allah and Jehovah were both the same God. That's false. But that was in an evangelical missionary organization that Allah and Jehovah are the same. And that's moving really where we're coming to today and the joining together of what you see happening in the Middle East. They're trying to join the three main religions together to have one religion and everyone's going to come together and everyone's going to be really happy because we're all one. And so we know it's false and we see so many other things. Even the deity of Christ these are things now that are that are sweeping into the church of Jesus Christ. Christ was born of a virgin. Christ's life did not begin at his birth. He is the eternal Son of God, the deity and the divinity of Christ. But now we see these doctrines are seeping into the church of Jesus Christ at a rapid rate. So we need to know how to discern, discernment, discernment, and righteously judge. If you ever hear someone saying, you're not allowed to judge, can I tell you something? That is incorrect. That is actually not biblically accurate. When Christ talked about judging and not judging your brother, it's, it's like me saying to Lydia, look at Lydia sitting there. I'm, much, I'm a much better Christian than her. She's, that's that type of judging the Lord saying, you're not allowed to judge because I know we are the same. We're sinners saved by grace. The same blood that washed her is the same blood that washed me. I'm not higher than her, not, not up here and she's down there. That, that pharisaical judgment. But there's another judgment that's a righteous judgment. And that's done through the Word of God. That you actually balance what is happening and you bring it into the light of God's Word. And there's a righteous judgment. And there's a discerning. How we need to discern Discern what is happening. Discern. Look at 1 John 4 and 1. 
1 John 4 and 1. And I know time's moving quickly, but I just feel this is important. 1 John 1 John 4 and 1, and he writes, he says there, Beloved, beloved, listen to what he says, believe not, what does he say? Every spirit. If I was caught up in some of the uh, lighter, trying to be careful with my words, but a lot of the movement that's going on today that just accepts everything. We're we're all in this together just because you have... uh, a name above the door or whatever else, and you say you're a Christian. That's, that's just the way it is, and we're all together. And John says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. But then what does he do? He instructs us that we should try the spirits, whether they be of God. There has to be the fruit. There has to be the evidence of a life that walks with God. There has to be the fruit in that life. And we are to try the spirits. There's a righteous judgment. There's a proving that these things are biblical, whether they be true or whether they be not, and whether they be off the spirit. There's a witness of the Holy Ghost in our lives that we should we should try these things just because it looks nice and sounds good and, and they've done a lovely presentation on YouTube of someone doing something doesn't necessarily mean that's God. Would you say amen if you know that's to be true? Just because the presentation of it and all the fancy lights and everything about it, that must be amazing. And look how many people are there. That must be God, right? Really? Are we so gullible that we're going to be drawn in the seductive spirits? One of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, we know, as we looked at them a number of weeks ago, is the discerning of spirits. Oh, how we need the discerning of spirits. This is important, brothers and sisters. We need to discern the Spirit of God. We're actually instructed that, of course, we're to examine ourselves, but we're also to discern the body of Christ. We're to discern the body, the Lord's body. Examine yourself, eat of the bread, fellowship together, but discern the body of the Lord. Jude's concern was false teachers. There's subtlety to bring in false teaching. But also, here's the more subtle one. It was a false balance. And they are the most subtle of them all. A false balance. Not a greater doctrine that we have. Of course, there's many great, but the doctrine of grace. What a beautiful doctrine, the doctrine of God's great grace. But if you get the balance wrong in the doctrine of grace, listen, brothers and sisters, it's happening. It's happening all over the world. It's happening with some of the leading movements in so-called Christendom. When you get the doctrine of grace wrong, and it's manifested also in the, in the music that it produces, Now you're watching when the doctrine is wrong in the preaching and the doctrine is wrong in the music as in the words. What ultimately happens is immorality will follow. Immorality will come. And that's happening all around us. Why? Why has it happened? Because of this. The doctrine of grace. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. 
That means that there is no boundaries, no boundaries in what we can do. You know, a number of years ago, the singing cowboy, the naked cowboy, sorry, in one of the large church gatherings in New York, a naked cowboy singing so-called apparently worship. It wasn't worship. It's not worship, by the way. And then you see the fruit of all of that now manifesting. Now, let me tell you something, friends. From our point of view, we're not going, we're going, oh, God, have mercy. Our our cry is, God, have mercy. How, How subtle the enemy is to sweep people all into that, and our young people particularly that are being caught up in all of that. But friends, I want to tell you where it happened. It was here of what you just taught. They turned the grace of God in the lasciviousness. And now there's no boundaries to what they can do. And then when you see that, and if you say, but that can't be Christ. And then people say, but you're being judgmental. We're not being judgmental. We're saying, my God, is this the simplicity of Christ that Paul was speaking of? So Jude says these words, sorry, before we get there, Proverbs 11, verse 1, coming to a close in a moment, I know time's gone, but Proverbs 11 and verse 1 says these words, a false balance is abomination to the Lord. You get the balance wrong in this great doctrine of grace, it becomes an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So Jude says there in verse 4, For there are certain men that are crept in unawares who were before old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God in the lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is nothing new. This, 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 what we're seeing today is not a new thing. This, is, this has been going on for hundreds of years. Paul deals with it in Romans chapter 6. Luther was the one that coined the the theological term, and I want to say the theological term and explain it a little bit, but his antinomianism is the actual theological term of what happens. I want to read a couple of quotes so you understand it. The belief, this is what the belief is, that Christians by virtue of divine grace are free from the biblical law and church-prescribed behavioral norms. So what we have had is a healthy tradition in the church. This has been the practice of the church for years. And all of a sudden, those norms that have been there are suddenly all thrown out, and a whole new style is all brought in, and a whole new way. Anyone seen that happen? Luther contrasts antinomianism with the true gospel, stressing that the law, Christ's law, is good and causes us to a life that pleases, a life lived that pleases the Lord. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones said these words one of the greatest curses conceivable is antinomianism. One of the greatest curses conceivable. The word itself was first coined by Luther. It is derived from the Greek against law or anti-law. But by law, the reference is to the moral law. In other words, we are not constrained in any way to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. 
I'm saved. I'm free. But we are free. You see how the terms of being free, delivered, praise the Lord. Thank God for the grace of God. Thank God that we're washed in the blood. Thank God he's paid the price for me. Thank God I can. I am now no longer under condemnation. I'm free. I'm justified. I'm sanctified. You see how we take that and then we say, but this gives me a license to live whatever way I want. I want to tell you, friends, this has largely swept across most of the church today. Most of the church has swept in. The crux of the matter, he says, is to do with the third use of the law. I'm going to close. So the first use of the law is to convict of sin, to derive, as is a quote, drive the repentant sinner to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second use of the law is to restrain lawlessness in society. Thou shalt not kill is God's law. It's not in West, I know Westminster, but that is God's law to humanity. The third use of the law is to function as the rule of life for the believer. One of the most famous statements of this comes from the Puritan Samuel Bolton in his The True Bonds of Christian Freedom. The law sends us to the gospel for our justification. The gospel sends us to the law to frame our way of life. How we live. How we live. Now we have seen an infiltration of false teachers, false music, as in the words. And what it has created is a lifestyle, a lifestyle that's not pleasing to the Lord. It's not pleasing to the Lord. The frightening thing of that is the fruit that comes from that. And we'll see the fruit of that in the years. That's the frightening thing. The deception of it is, I want to tell you something from my point of view. When I see some of these things, and I do see them, and I see droves of young people standing in these places with not the gospel preached or the cross or a life, None of those things are preached. It's psychological gospel. It's another gospel. It's another Christ. But everyone's having a wonderful time and everything sounds great. And the tragedy is the deception of these young people being swept away into that and the fruit that it, that it will bring in their lives. That is heartbreaking. That actually is heartbreaking. <clears throat> Friends, I just believe tonight that we have a responsibility to earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend. I'm not talking about running after people and screaming and shouting at them. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying praying and pleading before God. And when we get opportunities to bring people into the way, the way that leads to life, to bring them to the truth, bring them to the word. May God have mercy because, friends, we're seeing a vast amount. You know, young people will go to something because they're hungry. They want something. You know, the tragedy is they're being fed another gospel. That's the shocking thing. And so God have mercy upon us. No time is gone. But God help us to earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. Let's believe God. Let's believe God. 
Let's believe God for the church. Let's believe God for a great gathering. And let's believe God for the cross to be preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord.